Welcome to Cards and Cubes. A show about board games that you didn't grow up playing. We are recording on August 10th, 2019 at Demolition Games, located at 3300 South and 85 West, Salt Lake City, Utah. If you're in the area, we highly suggest coming down to Demolition Games for some great deals. Today is episode three, Games Enjoyed with Casual Players. On today's show, we talk about some games we've played over the last week or so. Then we review Pipeline. Then we get into some board game questions, followed by our top three favorite games to play with casual players. Then we will unbox Imaginarium, talk about its components and our expectations. We are your hosts. I am Brandon. I'm David. I'm Justine. I'm Christo. So last week I opened up with uh, talking about a game I was excited that I bought only for the theme, which was horrified. And I've played it three times now, and I think I like it, but I'm still not sure if I like it just because of the theme and what you're doing in it. Um, Horrified is a game, it's a cooperative game for uh, one to five players, plays in about 60 minutes, and the weight is about family weight. Um, the interesting part about it, I mean, it's, it's a basic co-op game, you're moving around, you're basically like picking up tokens to discard them to fight monsters. It's got universal like old monsters. AMC monsters, like Dracula, Mummy. Universal. Universal horror, yeah. Invisible Man, Frank, yep. Dr. Jekyll. No, they're not in it. Oh, okay. But maybe expansions? Maybe expansions. Exactly. Yeah. So it's same, by the same team that does all the target games. Mm-hmm. Like, um, what's the... Uh, Kenny G's... Yeah, us feeling sexy. Yeah. The Bob Ross one. Is that those yeah. games? Mm-hmm. And Villainous. So Villainous is one of those games. I'm hoping it gets popular enough to where they'll just release expansions and just add more monsters to it. Um, the cool part about the game is you could add in... The monsters have like a complexity level of low, medium, and high, and you can just put in two monsters of low complexity and play with kids. No problem. You could ramp it up by putting in the harder monsters, and you could put in three or four and just have yourself like a harder game. Uh, the complexity doesn't change. It's still a pretty straightforward game. I think I like it. I think it's one of those that will stay on the shelf, but I'll play it like once every Halloween. I have a question. Actually, you had a really short game, if I remember correctly, on Thursday. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, how, do you, how did you feel about that? Did you feel like uh, luck did it, or kind of... I don't know. How do the monsters work? Okay, so the monsters work very simply. They all work the same way. You pull a monster card at the end of your turn, and it's going to have a number on the top of it that like allow you to seed the board with these items. These items are going to be discarded in order to deflect monster hits, but also to discard in certain ways, depending on the monster, to advance towards defeat and then defeat. On the monster card, we'll have you'll see the board. You'll have a little event, and if the if your monster's in, that event may or may not take place. And then you have some icons in the bottom that says how the monsters are going to move, how they're going to attack. They move like they'll move to the closest villager or player. And if it's tied, then they'll move to the closest player. If it's two players tied, they'll move to the, the the active player will decide. Luck, sure. That definitely had its thing. But I think we were also playing the game wrong, not as far as mm-hmm. rules go. Um, so you can pick up tokens as you're going along. And these, like I said, are going to be like shields to deflect monster hits. 
And I think how you play the game is you just like everybody before you even start doing anything, you just go and pick up as many tokens mm -hmm. as you can. So now you have all these deflections. So maybe we would have won. We lost by the terror track. Yeah. We had four monsters in and it was probably too much. I think three is probably the sweet spot. Yeah, I think we had four, and they were four fairly difficult monsters to defeat, I feel like. Yeah, there was one, I put in one easy monster and then two medium. Mm -hmm. And then it, one really difficult one, right? Yeah, oh yeah. How does it stack up against Pandemic? Because I've heard it's being like, compared to that. I don't really like Pandemic. What? So, like, it's not maybe the best question mm -hmm. for me. I like this way better because I like the theme better. I'd okay. r way rather be, like, having fun defeating monsters than... Like an outbreak of diseases. Seemed Would kind you of like depressing. pandemic better instead of little disease cubes that had just little tiny monsters? No, that's the thing because they have that, right? Yeah. It's like C Cthulhu yeah. pandemic. pandemic. Oh, I, 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 I haven't played any of the billion expansions. I had no, I had no interest in any of the mm -hmm. pandemics after I played the first one because if, <laughs> if it's the same system, I don't really care for it. Um, like I said, this game is like simple, but it's just fun. It's like. If you ever seen the movie uh, Monster Squad from like '87 by Fred Decker, it's like it's like that. Um, <clears throat> as far as me for like Pandemic versus Horrified, um, Matt and I were looking at buying um, Pandemic Fall of Rome mm -hmm. because we have a person that we play with who's kind of newer to board games, and we've been playing co-op games to end the night with him, sure. and. So we were looking at Fall of Rome because that interests me a little bit more than the other pandemics. But after playing Horrified, we're actually probably going to pick up Horrified and play with him. Hmm. Cool. That's yeah, a perspective of somebody who's played both. Jacob, you've played some games? Uh, so yeah, me and Justine actually played the same game on Wednesday. Russian Rambos, and we played it with the expansion American Rails. Um, for whatever reason, the expansion doesn't cost that much money, which is a little strange. Um, but uh, yeah, we set it up there. And uh, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. It's one of those games that I, I wish I knew more genre games of this type where you almost, to when you play the game, you're trying to almost break the game. Like, it feels like, I think Seasons is the only one I can think of that one where it feels like when somebody wins, it almost feels like you're like, wow, you found like a loophole and you just went crazy off the charts with this one. And you comboed six things together. Um, every move you feel like you always got something to do there. You always feel like you got 20 irons in the fire. There's always things going on. You're always like, oh, I can go here, I can go this one. Um, just a lot of delightful decisions uh, in that game. Um, I don't think I came close to winning, but I enjoyed myself every move of that game, every turn of that game. I was invested throughout the game. Uh, I thought it was fantastic. Justin, you've played both games extensively, yeah. right? Yes. Well, I, this is my first time playing American Railroad, okay. but I've played Russian Railroad a lot. It's one of my favorite games. Um, and it's different enough. I feel like they're almost two different games in the same system because you're, you do the same, you have the same board. It's the same board as Russian Railroads, but your player board's completely different and it works completely different. You have new um, abilities that you unlock as your track moves down. Um, you have boulders that get in your way that you have to blow up by unlocking them. Um, you have two factory uh, markers. I can't remember what they're actually called in the game. And then it adds this stock market mechanic that to me is a stock market really in name only. I mean, it doesn't mm -hmm. 
there's no stocks really involved, but it's definitely you're getting rewards. It's as not you go an eighteen XX thing. If that's what people in the audience are thinking, it's just a weird. Yeah, you're not adding. Thing. You're not adding money into it. Yeah. Yeah. You just pay a buck to get to get your token on the on the board. Stock yeah. is the thief, but it's not really the mechanic. Right. That's. Mm-hmm. I almost just think it's kind of like an overlay to the game. Like, I like Russian railroads, and I like American rails, and I think they're different enough that one doesn't really replace the other. I have a question, actually. How do you feel about the replayability of Russian railroads, since you played it a lot? Uh, I've I've played it just one time. I felt like it was kind of a a very, like... um, Similar game, like I'm guessing in subsequent games you do the same things but better. Uh, the variability, I think, is the engineers that come out. I think that probably changes up the game the most. Other than that, it's like the same game. So I don't know. How do you feel about um, re- replay, re- replaying it over and over? So it doesn't really change much game to game. You're right. It's just the engineers, and they're so minor. They barely change the game. I think the replayability comes from trying to do better than you did last time or trying to beat whoever you're uh, you're against. I'm one of those people who really likes to try different strategies. And mm-hmm. so in Russian railroads um, and American rails, you have three different tracks. And my go-to strategy has usually been taking or going with the top track and spending all of my energy on that. But there's t- so many different strategies that are viable. And I've seen people win with different strategies i think that's kind of where the replayability comes in is trying different things that's what i was going to say the rails is what i would say the replayability is like like if you shoot up on the top rail which seems like the best thing to do because you're unlocking a bunch of things pretty quickly but maybe try doing going further on the the other rails right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well and i've seen people win with strategies that i considered completely unviable Mm -hmm. i've seen strategy or people win with strategies that i completely failed at so to me, it's like all the strategies are viable. It's just who does their strat best. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I felt like. It's kind of unrestrained engine building and you can do whatever. It's almost like a sandbox engine building game yeah. where yeah. you can just like pick a path and try to make it work. It's interesting try to be, that way. Yeah. I guess the worker placement aspect changes the game because people choose different things every game, right? So you can't like make mm-hmm. the thing work every single time. Right. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this week I played Innis, Innish, um, and one thing you'll figure out about me is I don't do well with confrontation and high confrontational games, but for some reason Innish is one of my favorite games, um, of that type. I mean, I definitely don't pull it off the shelf as much as I wish I did, um, but the fact that we're all drawing from the same cards... So Inish is a dudes on a map game. So you've got your little pieces and they're very highly detailed and cool and the map is pretty and the map is being built as the game is played. But it's also a action drafting. So you've, you're going to have a hand of cards and you pick one of those cards and you keep it and you pass it to your neighbor. Pass the rest of them. And then when you get to pick your next card, you actually put the card that you picked previously back in the hand and now you're picking two out of those cards. So you're not limiting based on what you picked previously. Um, but everybody kind of has the same opportunity to pick the cards that are good. Um, and there's no dice rolling. Any combat is done as, with cards, your cards, your action cards, or your life. And so instead of taking a guy off the board, you could potentially just discard a card and... Um, I like that aspect of it, that there's no dice rolling, there's no real luck involved. 
You just compare guys to guys, right? Yeah. And if you have more than than the other side, then you just remove one, right? You can remove a person or you can discard a card. That sounds simple. However, it's a little bit more complicated because some card effects can do things. So it's Mm -hmm. not like you just take guys against each other because I know there's some games like that which are not as exciting. That Mm -hmm. one is because there's there's twists. There's There's twists twists to that that combat. It's not just like remove guy or card. You can do other things. It's also an absolutely, absolutely gorgeous game. So pretty. The artwork is beautiful, and the theming of it is amazing. Every time I play it, I go home and I look for any Irish mythology I can find. I read anything I can find. So that's how I spent my night last night. Was watching. Yeah, I Irish to, mythology. I wanted to say something about Danish. Uh, sorry, it's uh, it's really cool because it's very, it feels very minimalistic. Like the mm-hmm. game's kind of like very simple in a way, but it's very cleverly designed because there's kind of like a lot of things going on. There's a way where you can like pass and pass and pass. And obviously in area control games, you kind of want to go last because you want to see what happens. So you want to have the last say, the last word or whatever. So, but if everyone passes, then you can't do anything and your hand is actually discarded. So there's there's a lot of like really cool, like little things, twists that make the game really awesome. Make it feel kind of not like a lot of area control games actually, um, which is kind of what it is, mm-hmm. but it's, it's cool. And someone did a ton of research on the theme tons of research to have yeah. every single card match up with the theme yeah mm-hmm. i think it's thematic yeah and oh. you're not just drafting drafting from like a huge deck of cards it's like yeah it's yeah. very like it's 17 i think it's six, uh, seven yeah 17 sorry because you take out one i was going to say 16 but one is so out, like so, yeah. you you know exactly what's what can be possible in the game mm-hmm. rather than like a game like bunny kingdoms where you just have no idea what's going to happen yeah um yeah. yeah, because because it's so minimalistic, it turns kind of into this like bluffing kind of like timing game, and mm-hmm. just kind of like everyone's like looking at each other and like, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do here? <laughs> it's, it's cool. I'm- I was actually going to talk about unlocks. I played a bunch mm-hmm. of unlocks lately. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to kind of hate app games like with passion just because I think they're like destroying the board game big gaming hobby and making it into like some kind of an app hobby or something I don't know whatever it's a different discussion but I'm kind of warming up to apps and um, unlocks are these really cool kind of like puzzle games which feel very much like the LucasArts like 90s games kind of like mm-hmm. King's Quest Police Quest uh, Broken Swords whatever Leisure Suit Larry or you know like point and click adventures basically mm-hmm. um I think the first one I played was Squeak and Sausage. That's what it's called, Brandon. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. it's called it Unlock Squeak and Sausage. It's yeah. like a super weird name, but uh, it's kind of like a wacky theme, and it feels like kind of like one of those hand-drawn adventures from the 90s. It feels like LucasArts. Yeah, it feels like mm-hmm. LucasArts. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, wow, this is super awesome. And it's like a very contained game. It's not, it doesn't drag. It's like uh, usually they're timed uh, at specifically an hour. I think all of them are timed at an hour, right? I don't yeah. know if there's been mm-hmm. one where it hasn't been an hour and the app like gives you a timer mm-hmm. uh, what you do in the game is basically exactly what you do in point point and click adventure games you explore rooms they have objects you kind of like explore the objects you can combine objects kind of like you have an inventory like those old games you can kind of like look for hidden stuff I feel like that kind of resembles like clicking around things I used to like click mm-hmm. around things in a scene to just see what I can pick up like looking for those 
tiny things on, on the cards. Usually they're numbers. Uh, you're looking for numbers. That kind of represents that. And um, I had a lot of fun with them, actually. I have a lot of fun with those games. They're really well designed, I think, in general. I think every game has a different designer, um, right? Or like a different artist, maybe, different story person. But the mm -hmm. system is the same. So like once you play one, you can play pretty much all. Yeah. Right? yeah mm -hmm. nothing, nothing changes. But the art is completely different, potentially. Um, one downside potentially uh, for those for those games is maybe uh, we played one with five people. I think that's too much. I think the games yeah, are probably yeah. better at like one, two, three because you kind of look at the cards and you kind of want to be close to the cards. Mm -hmm. And if yeah. there's too many people, they're picking up cards, and it's just like mechanically, it just doesn't work that well with um, that many people. Uh, the other thing, which is kind of like a downside for me, was I've played some other ones uh, since, and I think when the difficulty ramps up, I think the way they ramp up the difficulty is making you think like outside of the box, I would say. It gets into these weird like puzzles where like I've had a couple of things where it, I like look, I like to look for the solution on the cards and the mm -hmm. solution was like kind of outside the cards. I don't know if that makes sense without doing any spoilers or whatever. You outside have to literally pick outside yeah. the box. Yeah, yeah. Literally. Uh, sometimes you actually yeah. literally have to think outside the box. Uh, yeah, no, no spoilers. No spoilers yeah. But anyway, uh, those things I feel like are kind of like, okay, well, I can see what you did there, but like, good luck to me figuring that out. <laughs> so, so that was that was possibly uh, a negative, but overall it's, they're like super cool games actually. I'm, I'm glad that uh, in my gaming group and uh, friend group, there's people who actually have them because they're one time as well. That's something to be aware of. Where if you'll never replay those games once you know what the solutions are, that's it. Have you played the Exit series? Which is uh, I have point. not played the Exit series. My interest has increased since I started playing Unlocked. Um, so that's all Inca and Marcus brand. I yeah, think they designed every single one of the Exit series. Games. Um, so yeah, Unlock is the one where they do a deck of cards, and then after you're done, you can put it back in the cards. And then Exit is the same kind of small box game. Um, but after you're done, it's not reusable, and they usually involve some kind of manipulation, like involve, you have to cut something up, or tear something up, or do something weird, or bend something, or, or right, fold, fold, you burn yeah. something, no. or something like that. You burn. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't do it. I couldn't burn. do it. Uh, I uh, I played both. I like I like them both. The Endlock series, I think, is so strong that they. I think there might be. It things it comes down to the actual puzzles in the game. And you can technically resell or give away the Unlock series, but I feel like for mm -hmm. the price you pay, which is 10, 15 bucks, it's not the biggest deal in the world to play both. Um, the one thing I've noticed for both of those ones is like, the one, one lock one I felt would be good. This issue two, it gets a little hairy. And then the ones I've played with the three locks in it, it's almost sort of like they went overboard. Like, um, yeah, like there's yeah. some puzzles where you're like manipulating things and you're going through there and like you're having to build like a nuclear reactor out of like, a toothpicks and you're just like this is just just it's not just yeah. that the puzzles are hard it's just like this is just this is just like too much almost I guess so I don't know um, that's what I was gonna say is thinking outside the box like some of mm -hmm. those things are kind of like unintuitive like I feel like mm -hmm. it's just kind of like you're just trying to get into the designer's mind at that point or something like yeah. like what the heck were you thinking here anyway did you um, have any other games? Yeah, I was going to talk about the game I didn't actually play uh, here, Demolition, that I played somewhere else. I played it a couple of times now. It's Blue Moon City, mm, um, and it's that. a Reiner Knizia reprint of, I think it was designed like 2004 or something. Uh, recently it was reprinted by Simon. 
Um, so, just impressions of the game. It's uh, first of all, what is the game? You're rebuilding Blue Moon City, I think, is what it's called. There was some uh, magical explosion or something, or whatever magical war or a war. So, all the buildings are ruined. The buildings are represented by tiles in a grid. You're moving around um, orthogonal kind of square grids, and you're repairing buildings. So, the whole game is about repairing the city. Uh, how do you repair the buildings? By playing cards. And they give you these crystals in general, which you can turn in for points. So basically the whole building is a race for repairing the buildings faster, getting the most crystals, turning them in for points first. And it's kind of a race game, actually. There's no set number of rounds. Depending on player count, it's, uh, it's different counts of contributions, they call it, uh, wins the game immediately. Like there's no even like equal number of turns or anything, just like they immediately win. Um, I was kind of expecting from reading the rules the game to be more complex. Um, it's very like simple. It almost feels like Ticket to Ride or something. It's like super simple because the game is kind of like the way re you repair buildings is kind of very a majority. So you're putting these discs and you're trying to get the most discs so you can receive the most rewards. There's a reward for the most contributions to repair building. I don't know. It, it, it felt it felt okay playing it. I'm not sure if I'm super excited to play it again or just kind of meh. Um, it's it's a good game, but I like I say I, I think it's uh, more simple than I expected. The one thing I was gonna say about it in particular is like um, I usually don't care about components. Like I I'm perfectly fine with cubes and like paper. That's all I need in that game. Uh, in the reprint, they decided to make the colors very, very like muted. Mm -hmm. So the whole board is kind of like super kind of darkened and like this gloomy kind of looking board because the city is ruined, I guess. So you're trying to like fix it and make it uh, slightly less gloomy, actually. <laughs> Not really like colorful or anything. Um, the problem is they also chose very like muted, muted colors for the cards. So they have like a dark red, dark green, dark blue they have white which i'm fine with and then they chose like a shade of between red and brown and then another shade of between red and brown oh. so like it's just like insane like the colors are so close even in good lighting i think like you sometimes like i'd pick up a card and like compare it to the board just to like is this the right color mm -hmm. of, of the card and it's like super important because you're trying to get matches of colors to basically repair these like buildings I mean, it's Simon, so they have some miniatures and stuff. Obviously, there's like three dragons, and they have miniatures. They're not very large, but it's like you gotta have miniatures. In <laughs> yeah. <game>. yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's. Um, I mean, overall impressions, pretty pretty cool game. I definitely play it. It's not like a bad game, but it's kind of less strategy than I expected. Does it strike you as kind of like a gateway game? Uh, yeah, I think it's kind of like a gateway-ish game. Yeah, you. I would definitely. I played it with like people who actually are kind of newer to board gaming, and it went fine. So. I think that's what it's designed for is like an mm -hmm. intro to like area majority concepts and kind of like because you're the tick to right style, you're kind of like matching colors with the buildings. You're trying to get matches of cards to play on buildings mm -hmm. and build yeah. them up. So that was our games played. Coming up next is our review of Pipeline. So last week we took a look at Pipeline and gave our expectations of it and right now we're going to review it. So we all looked at the game yeah. and we were quite interested in it, mm -hmm. quite excited and 
we thought it was going to be economic Euro game that we'd all enjoy. Um, who wants to start on this one? I uh, can start. Okay. Um, so I thought it was brain melting, but in a really good way. Um, it when you look at it, the graphic design is simple. It's really clean. It looks a lot like CO two to me. Um, but the game is so 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 difficult to play. Same same um, artist, artist graphic yeah. designer, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I I figured. Um, it's so punishing, but it's so good when you finally get somewhere. Um, and then, yeah, it's just, it's so hard. You think it's going to be like an easy, simple, like, oh, I'm building pipes and they're different colors and how pretty is this? And no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, maybe we should just say, like, kind of go over the mechanics. So the thing is in pipeline you have at the beginning of the game is just basically you're going to get 18 turrets. So you're going to get 18 chances mm-hmm. to do things. Mm-hmm. And you start off, you don't have enough money to do things. And really the game is just about time and money. Um, because you, you certainly start to realize that things you... The stuff you want to do is just stuff that doesn't cost you time. The more you can automate, the more you can get done taken care of. Uh, Justine talked about the graphic design, actually, and the art. I was going to say a lot of people praise Ian O'Toole's illustrations mm-hmm. on that mm-hmm. game. I feel like the game has, like, I don't know, I'm not going to be too extreme, but I guess, like, prototype-level-looking boards, which is not a bad thing. It's very functional, but, like, mm-hmm. on the board itself, there's, like, a sliver of art at the top. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much it. The cover of the game is super awesome, like, really colorful and really beautiful. The board itself is just squares and colors, I think. So, I don't know where, like, the art Well, is. I think that sets you up for what you're about to encounter. Well, so I would disagree, because it feels like almost like a corporate... Uh, training kind of thing, like the main, uh, for the, mm-hmm. a lot of the oh. games there. I felt it worked, uh, the stuff there. But, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. almost kind of the stuff there. Mm-hmm. I, I felt the art design kind of worked. It's probably not like my favorite thing there. It's not as beautiful as some games I've seen there, but I thought it's, it's definitely works. It's definitely pretty to the eye to me. Brandon, what were your impressions of the game? Um, okay, so yeah, you're, you're going to certain spots to get pipes. Pipes are like a mini game that you do. Um, but you're, gosh, man, you're investing in oil and you're trying to refine it. That's the overall premise of the game. I feel like there's a lot there. I would say this is for this is for the people that like what I call the like chess players mm-hmm. who like to explore a game many times over. Okay. And for those players, this game is perfect. For players like that just want to play all the new stuff and explore. Um, different mechanics of different games and new designs. Man, this one this one hurts a bit. Mm-hmm. So you, um, I feel like I I take a step forward, then I take two steps back. Yeah, I'm buying stuff to make more money to get more money because money is points. And I feel like you can either walk away from this game saying I'm never going to play it again and every time I hear the name I feel a sharp pain in my eye. Are you, are you <laughs> talking about someone at the table here, Bram? Yeah. Or you can say, gosh, what a challenge. I want to take that challenge and mm-hmm. I want to try it again. Mm-hmm. I'm somewhere in the middle where like, I'm reluctant to play it again but something urges me to have to play it again. I'll use Brandon's uh, expression or impression of the game. Uh, 
you feel like you're drowning and you're coming up for air. That's yeah. what the game feels like. Uh, he was telling me that. And I think that's a pretty good like metaphor of what the game is. Um, mm-hmm. You feel like you're starting like, I don't know, like uh, six feet under the surface of the water or whatever, or mm-hmm. underwater. You're like trying to just come up, take a breath, and then you sink again. And it's yeah. kind of over and over. And by the end of the game, you can just about swim. That's kind of what it mm-hmm. feels like to me. Mm-hmm. But not in a fun unlock way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's interesting because I think we all hit on the same thing. I have, my metaphor for it is you think of like an engine building game. And to me, this is like an engine chugging game. So you spend, you have 18 turns and you spend six of them building your engine. One turn running your engine. And then you use the money from running your engine for the next however many turns to try and like build up enough to run your engine again and it's like incrementally better than it was the last time so yeah i get what you're saying like the drowning uh, i thought the game was boring i was bored while playing it uh, <laughs> i i didn't want to play the game again uh, i just felt the game doesn't give you a lot of stuff to do stuff and so you feel like you're constantly just like getting tiny points to build something everything you do feels unsatisfactory in the end it also sets up perverse incentives so at the end of the game i set up this play where i sold this oil to the market and made a bunch of money and then i noticed the in-game conditions i would have made more points at the end game if i had just left that oil set there which is weird i feel like games shouldn't do that and i feel like a lot of this game feels sort of pell-mell like this one where it is a system and i guess if you can drive some satisfaction from solving that system i certainly see that but i don't think it's a fun system to solve and i feel like we should be asking more for a board game another thing i want to hit on is this game, I feel like a lot of this, you know, the design of this game is really clumsy. So you have a design tech. So before the game, you have five different uh, design trees, the tech trees, excuse me, that are coming through. And the game just says, so you're going to go to one tech tree, and then you just get to close off another one, another random one. And it feels like it's sort of trying to force the way of like the conflict on this one, because you don't have even have to take the action that you're blocking another player from. It's so in other games, if you hate draft something, you actually literally have to draft the card you don't want the other player. If you go somewhere, work a placement spot, you have to go somewhere. This one just says no, you're just gonna block the other stuff. But it's also making design that's just impeding other players for no reason. And the other thing about this is so you go on one tech tree and you get to block off another tech tree. And so that means there's only five. So that means the first two players could block off two tech trees. Second two players could block off another two tech trees. Or three. Or three. Or three for these issues like this one. And then it's just like other people just don't get, like you don't even get to use this tech tree. It's like not even an option for these people. It's just like, I I guess one of the big things about uh, this game, and especially contrasting it against another plan against this game, I played and talked about this game this week, which is Russian Railroads. This game, it feels like you don't really have a lot of options. You start off with two money, you're too little money. You don't really have, there's not a lot of options for path. You're basically just trying to like, I need to do whatever I can just get some extra money back in my pocket. You can take out loans, but it takes one of those 18 actions yeah. to get loans. And you can only take out one loan at a time. And then the loan structure is also like brutally punishing for this issue. So it's not like you can even just say like, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take out a bunch of loans and see if that's a viable strategy. Um, I felt like this game didn't really have a lot of options. None of the options excited me. I think at the end of the day, it's a bad and dumb game. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel, Jacob. All right. Uh, Go ahead, I'll, I'll follow that by uh, <laughs> saying uh, 
actually the tech thing uh, felt really bad the first game. I thought it mm -hmm. was broken. Actually, mm -hmm. we were talking about like house ruling it. Uh, yeah. Subsequent games, I'm not sure, but it definitely feels like unnecessarily brutal to Jacob's yeah. point. Mm -hmm. um, I think we like some of that stuff because kind of Lorenzo actually has the same thing. Like you're going somewhere and you're making the action worse for the next person, like the towers, obviously. Like you're going to a tower and then the next person has to experience a worse time there you or whatever. To, yeah. You can obviously still do it and pay in uh, Pipeline, you cannot do it. That's a difference. Like, you can't pay more to get a tech. You just can't get a tech. You're just done. And they reset like two times per game, which is ridiculous. Anyway, um, my initial impression of the game overall is I kind of felt like Tolkien uh, that way. Uh, it feels like you can kind of play the game and kind of like just do stuff. Uh, but it feels like there's potential for like really efficient and like really cool combo, like deep stuff that you can do with the game. Uh, I feel the same way with uh, when I played Tolkien the first time. I was like, uh, okay, that's like really rough, really punishing, but I feel like there's like if you just time things perfectly, you can... You're talking just, about like, Zulkan with the gear, Yes. Right? Okay. Yeah. All right. If this was the 1800s, you comparing that game to Zulkan, I have to challenge you to a duel. I have okay. To say. Um, in my opinion, actually, like the feeling of the game that I got from it, the mechanics are nothing alike. Uh, the game uh, is completely different. The mechanics are completely different. Uh, it's really punishing to feed your workers in Zulkan, I feel like, and it's also really punishing to like have wheat to go to the good spaces that you need to go. So it's like, it feels very like kind of like a struggle. You're just like mm -hmm. struggling but you have the potential for really cool combo like building stuff um, if you play things right uh, obviously again pipeline is way more, more brutal version of uh, talking talking you can like uh, kind of piece together uh, some leftovers in pipeline I feel like you can't like if you fail you fail hard um, I feel like pipeline and this is the thing I love about it is it's really a very thinky, calculating game. Because, so like Jacob was saying, is you can you have this oil and you finally manage to get your engine up enough that you can refine it to the point where you can actually sell it for some money. And then you have to decide, now am I going to sell it to a contract for less money, but that doesn't take one of my 18 actions. Am I going to sell it to the board for more money, but that does take one of my 18 actions. Or am I going to save it and maybe try and up how much or how much it's worth at the end of the game. So maybe I'll take a low-grade oil and maybe by the end of the game refine it to a high-grade oil. And one of the things I realized, so my first playthrough, I was like, this is so stupid. Why would I ever sell oil to a contract? Because it's so much less than to the board. But then I realized, no, you're actually valuing how much is that action worth to you? How much is that extra action that you get by selling the oil to the contract worth? And a lot of times it's going to be worth more than the difference between selling to the contract and selling to the board, I feel like. When Justine was saying something about uh, luck and just kind of, well, not luck, but like the board layout, um, basically the game is like a perfect information game, um, pretty much. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about that yesterday. Like everything that will ever be in the game is in front of you, almost. Uh, there's very few like reveal-y things. There's um, some tiles that come in. There's some super insignificant contracts, I feel, that come in. Uh, but pretty much, like, you can kind of look at the game in the beginning and sit there for 15 minutes, make a plan. And obviously, it's not going to probably happen because other people might take your stuff. But, like, it's kind of like a perfect information game. Also, I feel like the 
theme is not really kind of there. It feels very abstract. So it kind of feels like chess, Justine was mentioning, like, or someone was mentioning, like, kind of like a chess-like experience. I feel like it's kind of like the, this, like, I don't know, like, sort of abstract. You're running pipes from nowhere to nowhere with some guy that, like, is that how you refine oil? Not really. <laughs> like, we were kind of joking about that, like, <laughs> when we were explaining the rules, uh, someone was like, uh, is that how you refine oil? You just run it through a pipe? Like, mm, kind of, not really. But <laughs> yeah. anyway, it's, it's almost like a running joke. But um, uh, the rules are also very simple, actually. It's not very, like, many rules. Like, the game kind of explains itself almost. Mm -hmm. uh, the only unintuitive thing is, like, refining oil. That's, like, the mm -hmm. weird part of the mm -hmm. game. But other than that, it's like, you go here, you, you do that, you buy and sell, that's simple. So that contributes to the game, I feel like, feeling kind of like abstract in a way. It's like simple rules, perfect information, and yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think this should be categorized as an abstract game. Mm -hmm. I feel mm -hmm. like if you master this game, you might be able to go get rich from Wall Street. Mm -hmm. But I also feel like the designer is playing a cruel joke on Eurogamers. I think mm -hmm. a picture you took of Matt playing this game a couple nights ago really illustrates what it's like yeah. to play Pipeline. The, uh, the faces of Pipeline. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, can, you can see that on Instagram. Uh, Cards and Cubes on Instagram. And on yeah. Facebook. So, thumbs up, thumbs down. Jacob? I'm giving this game a, a thumbs down. Thumbs I, I down. don't see. The thing about it is I think if I play this game more, there's a possibility... I could, there's definitely more things to unlock for this one, but I, I just think like the experience of playing it is just turgid. I want the I want the I want the hobby of board game to just be more entertaining. This game feels like it sets up challenges by just closing up so many avenues, and the games I like best are ones that give you just a billion different options, and everything feels super overpowered, so you go in a million different directions. And this game, it just feels like you're trying to work your. way. It just feels like you don't really have a lot of options. It just feels like every night you're eating. You know, hot dogs over the stove and <laughs> counting, trying to pay your rent to your landlord. I don't know. Enthusiastic thumbs up. I loved it. Great. Thumbs sideways. Um, I think the, I've played three games now. The third game was actually kind of almost enjoyable. Like, kind of, <laughs> kind of like fun, you know. Like, you know, you kind of get to know what you're doing. The first game was like, it literally kind of like broke my brain. At some point, I was like, I'm, I'm just kind of, kind of giving up calculating stuff. It was just so painful. And just kind of like trying to just towards the end of the game time things. Um, I feel like the more you play it, the kind of more cool you're going to be with playing it. The first time it's going to be rough. Uh, it's not a game I would love to play all the time. I have to be kind of in the mood for it. But it's, I don't think, I don't know if it's a bad game either. It's kind of like somewhere in the middle for me. Mm -hmm. uh, same here. Uh, thumbs in the middle. Uh, depending mm -hmm. on, if I'm recommending the game, the thumb will either go up or down depending on who's asking. Exactly. If it's somebody like Matt who's not here today, uh -huh. I would say thumbs up. I would, I would suggest yeah. it to somebody like Matt. Matt really liked it. Um, but it's something that I want to explore a little more, but I just want to wait till I get older. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't have hair to pull. That's, yeah. that's yeah. actually uh, that was, that was my joke. Yeah. Okay, that was Pipeline. Now we're going to answer some board game questions, starting with Freesto. All right. Um, well, I, I will ask the question. Uh, my question uh, for everyone was, 
Is there a game feature, mechanic, theme, or anything in the game which you consider a fatal flaw? Something which you have a severe reaction against in a game which otherwise might look great? And what is it? Basically, is there something that you really kind of hate in a game that otherwise looks good? Conversely, is there something that you enjoy so much that you're willing to kind of disregard other flaws in the game that you usually don't uh, like? Um, okay, as far as hates... Like I said earlier, high confrontation. Mm. Anytime there's going to be like high confrontation, I'm not really down for it. Um, anything that involves like hexes and little plastic spaceships, <laughs> I, I'm afraid of. Um, roll and move or roll for combat mechanics, mm. I'm kind of not really into. I have some examples of games like that that I really enjoy, but my biggest thing is player elimination. Mm. Mm -hmm. Are you referring to TI with hexes and spaceships? You uh, played TI just one time, I think. Yeah, I played TI one time. Um, I still have anxiety about that game. Twilight Imperium. Twilight Imperium, That's what yeah. TI is. I mean, I feel like everyone... I played it once. It was very anxiety-inducing, and it was like a six-hour game. <laughs> so it was six hours of anxiety. Six hours of anxiety. That yeah. sounds amazing. It was awful. <laughs> Not that TI is a bad game. If you like TI, it's not. It's nothing against you. It's just not for me. But um, basically, anything with hexes with little plastic ships, I'm not very. I don't know. It makes me nervous. Like uh, Eclipse is one of the ones that I'm like. Neh. Um, you know, the thing about this this topic after thinking about it is, I really like to think board games that for any mechanic you can think of or any kind of thing in a board game. There's a way, there has to be a way to do it right. So, like, player elimination is bad, but if you think a game like Love Letter or Coup, they do those games right. So, like, I guess my fundamental thing of this, I want the answer to this to be no, because I want for anything you say, there's a way to do that in a way that changes things up mm -hmm. and makes me like it. So, like, a lot of times I don't like area control games, do not a maps, but I absolutely love Inish. And uh, they managed to do it in a way and do a thing like that one. So, I'm going to be an idealist and say no. Um, the closest thing I have for both of those end of the spectrum, love, hate, is I think time. I think games that are on shorter end um, get are a lot more forgivable for having mechanics that are a little more random, things like that there. If a game is in and out, and that's why Coup and Love Letter works, I think, when they have those elements of player elimination, mm -hmm. is that the rounds and you're eliminating, man, you're over in two minutes, you know? And, uh, and so it works well for that one because you're having those moments where people get eliminated, but no one's out of the game for too long for that issue. Uh, and on the longer end, you know, uh, how fun is your board game going to have to be for me to want to play it for eight hours? Um, I, I don't know. Um, I can't think of off the top of my head. The only one I can think of is T.I. or Twilight Imperium. And the one time I played it, I didn't have a good experience with that one. So it remains to be seen. Maybe there is a board game out there which, you know, it's an all-day experience and it's just this big thing. It's the game that when I hear people talk about Twilight Imperium, I have that same experience where it's a big epic that I can I can go on and tell my friends and neighbors about and, and and write an epic poem about, but um, yeah, I think that'd be my answer. Um, that's an interesting answer. I like it. Um, <laughs> roll for resolution, like mm -hmm. like like mm -hmm. Justine was talking about. Whether it's combat or Feudum has that weird thing where you roll the dice to see if you're going to continue the round or something. I don't. Do you remember exactly how it was? It was just uh, that's, weird. that's a really random weird thing because I'm going to talk about it in my um, for okay. a different reason. Um, I'll wait, my, but my thing. but any games that's like roll to see if it's happening or not. Yeah, like there's some games that are like not forgiving necessarily, 
Just that, like, I don't mind because it's the nature of the game. Like, something like Memoir 44, 878 Vikings, which are games that, like, by my own nature I shouldn't like, but for some reason I just have fun playing them. But if they were to change it to, like, like, um, like you're playing cards for combat instead, I would like that better. So mm-hmm. Roll for Resolution really, like, turns mm-hmm. me off in a game. All right, I'm going to answer my own question. Um, so... Uh, for me, it's kind of like mechanics which kind of wreck planning in a game, um, where oh, there's a game with like yeah. a lot of planning, and mm-hmm. someone just comes around and like, well, just kidding, the thing you've been doing for like the last five turns is worth nothing, so uh, congratulations. Anyway, uh, speaking of Feudum, um, that game has a random game ending, which is like... I don't know, you're planning to do stuff and it sometimes might matter, it might be a big swing of points and like you're rolling to see if the game ends, which is Mm -hmm. just crazy to me anyway Mm -hmm. Um, like uh, I have like really bad reactions against uh, uh, things which randomly decide the game length Uh, I've noticed that kind of bothers me with things or just, another one was actually recently King's Will Um, the players decide the game end on that one and the difference might be like a lot of points or like zero points if you don't get to do like a particular action before someone just chooses to end the game and I feel like that's like a really kind of like something that bothered me in games is just like when someone can come around or the game itself can come around and just kind of like wreck a plan that might result in like a huge swing of points at towards the the game end does anyone want to talk about positives and yes. about positives? I love positives. Yeah, positives. Okay. Um, I'm Okay, so I'm a huge history buff. So if you want me to play your game, put a picture of like a Viking or a pretty girl in a dress from the Middle Ages. Anything that has to do with like the Viking era, the Middle Ages, Renaissance, um, I'm down for. It still has to be a good game, but I'll definitely be more interested in like, oh, what, what, tell me about this game. Um, I, I like that in, in Euro games where they'll give you a piece of history in the rule book before you start reading the rules. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if you've read enough Euro game rules, you can kind of keep up with a lot of history uh-huh. yeah. conversations. A lot of the GMT books will have, like, the rule book will be like 30 pages, and then you'll realize 20 of those pages is just like behind the scenes on the history and mm-hmm. stuff like that there. But yeah, that I mean, that's one of the things. I mean, I'll go to a board game store and look at the shelves and. Anything that has like Odin in it or some European city, I'm like, yep, I'm going to pull out my phone. I'm going to look up BGG. I'm going to figure this out. So, yeah, history. Fun times. Oh, I, I kind of answered both of them. It's just time. Because, I mean, it's the same thing with mechanics. I guess, I mean, if a game is short enough, like I always think of like Tumbling Dice or that other game Pit with the Ravensburger. If the game is just short and silly and stupid, I feel like it will just take over the animal part of my brain that just likes playing stupid games like that one. Uh, whatever magic Tumbling Dice had, I want more games to have like that. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing, Time. Like, basically, like, if a game's, like, 15 minutes long, like, I'm never going to, like, hate it. I don't mm-hmm. care. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's games that are 15 minutes long that I probably will never want to play. Yeah. But if it's, like, it, I don't know. I Like, I just I just bought um, 5211. And that game was short enough for me not to hate it, but like it's not that great of a game. Mm. But I'll play it again. Um, but to change my answer, so it's not like yours, I would I would say um, it's like a worker placement spot at Beach Two there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
You just have to pay more to to proceed yeah. with that answer. Uh, no, I'm sticking to that. That's fine. Okay. Uh, you have to pay me ten dollars then. So <laughs> I'll pay you ten bucks and I'll stick three with victory three points to Jacob. Uh, all right. Um, the games which I like, uh, or things that I like in games, actually are asymmetry, mm-hmm. uniqueness. Um, and like sci-fi stuff, more like hard sci-fi stuff, not like fancy sci-fi, but just like serious sci-fi, like you're like calculating stuff and it's like realistic. Uh, some games which I probably shouldn't like, but I do uh, because of asymmetry is probably Roots. That's probably the biggest one uh, lately. I am enjoying that game. Um, I mean, I'm not sure I'm like ultra crazy about it, but it's like a game I would not play if it wasn't asymmetric and interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, like you kind of play six different games or five or whatever, however, however many people are involved on the same board. It's very asymmetric. It's got like resolution of combat with dice. They're like mitigated, but still it's like, am I really playing this game? Like this is crazy, uh, but I am playing that game. Um, I like unique games. Like um, I was just going to mention some names like Sansusi, Familia, Karmaka, Dungeon Pets. Like those are games that, because of themes or other reasons, I kind of wouldn't look at regularly, but just because they're kind of unique. Like there's something that feels like cool about them. Like the Dungeon Pets, like uh, needs system. The Familia, like what is this game? Like set collection, deck yeah. building, like something hand circulation. Uh, the sounds will see just like tile placement, but like you can kind of mitigate it depending on things like just like these like unique things in games are really cool that I enjoy um, a lot. Um, the sci-fi stuff that I have listed um, here, I've just made like a list of potential games, possibly games that I wouldn't like that much otherwise, like kind of space race, race for the galaxy type games. I'm, I'm not sure if I'd like them that much without the space theme. Uh, recently on Kickstarter, I was looking at like one small step, uh, just mm-hmm. kind of like games with weird mechanics, which I probably would not play if they weren't like hard sci-fi or post-apocalyptic or something. And those are um, games that I really enjoy. Uh, yeah, that's interesting because like I always say that I don't care about theme. Like I play mm-hmm. Euro games, and those are typically just like pasted on, and you're not doing what you would be doing. Like the theme and the mechanics don't match. But it but it's interesting because like theme is what is going to make me look at the game. Yeah. Now it doesn't make like like I like horror stuff, but I'm hard pressed to find a good horror game, you know? Like even like Horrified, mm-hmm. I don't think was like something that I'm excited to play again yeah. and again. Like it's uh, like ha- there's not a lot of like euro games with like horror themes on it, you know. There's a great card game like um The Bloody End that kind of scratches uh-huh. that itch a bit. But it doesn't mean that I'm going to look at the game and it's horror, and I'm, and so I'm going to buy it. I'm just going to look yeah. into it and go, oh, that's a bummer. It's not quite what I want. Exactly. It's the same with me. It's like, I'll look at it, make a decision from there. I was going to say, there's definitely something to be said about theme integration. Uh, a lot of people liken Pulsar 2849 to like Castles of Burgundy. I was okay with Castles of Burgundy, but it felt kind of like, okay, well, I'm just playing this like Euro game with like buildings and stuff and colors and whatever. I feel like in Pulsar, you kind of like, I don't know, for me, I really feel like you're flying a ship around and you're like pecking up and I mean it's still like a euro like I don't know if everything makes perfect thematic sense or whatever it's not the simulation by any (laughs) means Uh, but it definitely feels like you're doing like cool things that make sense with the theme and that's like just feels good in a game I think 
Okay, um, my question is, is there a game or a type of game that you like just because of nostal- the nostalgia of a game that you played when you were young? So I'll just answer it first to like give an example. Like, Roland rights are like huge right now, and there's a lot of people that are like cold on them or hot on them. And I'm, I'm, I like shouldn't like these games, but I do because when I was younger, I played a lot of Yahtzee, mm-hmm. like Eight Seven Eight Vikings and and Memoir Forty Four. Like I mentioned, I shouldn't like these games, but I played a lot of Risk when I was younger, so I like these games. Um, and there's like card games, which I think card games are just great, but like when I was a kid, I played Uno like crazy, right? And now like I'm drawn to like trick-taking games. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's a direct correlation between like what I played when I was young and like the games that are coming out now. Because really like what I get the most excited for is these medium to heavyweight Euro games, but I tend to find myself getting excited about these games that I feel like I shouldn't get excited for. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it was because of the seed that was planted when I was young. And I can't think of, I definitely played games when I was a kid, but I can't really think of anything that really relates to, I think the closest I have is I've always had sort of an affection for Monopoly, even though that's sort of the poster child for a bad game in our community. Like if you said right now, would you rather just play Smash up a bunch of times or play Monopoly? I would definitely say Monopoly. I might pick Monopoly, actually. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I would be down to play Monopoly like probably once a year. It'd have to be a thing where it's like, we're going to play Monopoly, the thing there. Um, but yeah, and there's also something to the aesthetic, like the different cards in Monopoly. Because the thing is, Monopoly, it feels a lot different than the other simple games you're playing as a kid. Because you get to build your little empire. When you get three of those properties, like it feels really good. Like you'd feel like a, a billionaire. A lot of times the other players are kind of dumb. And so they'll like make bad trades with you so you get to feel smart. Like that wouldn't work if you're playing with board gamers. But when you're like 14 and like you convince someone they can do something really dumb. And you're just like, yeah, this is awesome. I'm literally Donald Trump right now or whatever. Um... My answer actually has to do with Monopoly as well. Um, I'd like to point out Monopoly was meant to be a painful, awful, horrible experience. That was the that was specifically designed that way. But Automobile by Martin Wallace um, mm. reminds me of Monopoly, but it's so much better. So you first of all, you've got the paper money, which is I mean, for most games I hate paper money. But for automobile, it really makes sense to have, like, the paper money. You feel like a greedy automobile magnate. Um, but the way that you move around the board with the factories and the um, you open factories around the board feels a lot... It just scratches the same itch that Monopoly used to, but it's just so much better. Would you say the automobile... So now I want to run out and buy automobile, because it's by Martin Wallace. I love Martin Wallace games. And that sounds good. Would you say, because the only thing that kind of reminds me of Monopoly is Food Chain Magnet, Magnate. Mm-hmm. Would you say that reminds you of? I guess. It re- that reminds me of just old style games. Yeah. Like the layout of it and everything. Yeah. Like not what yeah. you're doing in it, but the whole production of it. I think like that's why I'm drawn to that game too. I think that's yeah. good to bring up is because it looks like those yeah. games we grew up playing except for way better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's another game where the paper money is really Fine. good. Yeah. Did they have Monopoly in Bulgaria? They did, actually. I played Monopoly growing up. Um, I actually played it a lot. I actually played it a lot two-player for some reason with a friend of mine. I actually think um, that's probably the best way the mechanically of the game works. Possibly, yeah. Um, if I had kind of like pretty negative experiences with it yeah. overall. Everyone. Uh, yeah, ironically, definitely. actually, I played it a lot of times, I think. Just the dice really bothered me in that game. And I think ever since then, I hate dice. Uh, kind of like uh, 
that you can't change. Things just happen to you, kind of in a way, uh, which is kind of weird, though, because I was uh, going to talk about something else, which is actually I can might as well talk about it right now. Backgammon. Um, I played backgammon with an uh, aunt of mine growing up. Uh, I feel like it's kind of it has the same thing where you, like you can really get wrecked by just a random dice roll. Mm -hmm. Like uh, I don't know if you guys have played a lot of backgammon, yeah. but it's like uh -huh. very very interesting design because you're kind of like pushing your luck um, and if you have a bad roll I think you can recover from it and hope that the other person gets a bad roll because it can have really bad consequences if you set up the game correctly uh, to like block them and stuff. Um, uh, the, the vibe there that's interesting to me is kind of like I feel like there's like a duel of fates thing going on or something it's kind of weird like you're kind of uh, my aunt was into like really weird like uh, coffee cup readings and like weird stuff. So <laughs> I don't know. I just I just think of it as like the yin and yang or something, like the black and white thing with like mm -hmm. abstracts. Like you're kind of like I don't know the battle of good against evil or something. I don't know. You know, like just uh, has that kind of vibe. You're kind of like tossing these dice and like is this my fate or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's it's weird. Like you create these stories. Uh, speaking of which, I also like abstracts, which I probably shouldn't like. I played mm -hmm. chess with my dad. It got destroyed a lot when I was growing up, but. Um, I probably shouldn't like abstracts as, as much as I do. I don't get to play them as much. I think a good abstract like kind of triggers your imagination a little bit as well as you're playing it. Another thing that I really like probably more than I should is trick-taking games. I played um, a lot of trick-taking games growing up actually in this country house and um, I kind of have like a cool, again, it's like a feeling of kind of meditative quality as you play trick-taking games. Mm -hmm. We don't get to play as many uh, here, but I think once you get into it and play game after game, like 10 games or whatever, you kind of get into this like feeling of like how the yeah. game flows and mm -hmm. just kind of like, yeah. there's there's something meditative about it, I think. I like trick-taking games probably more than I should because of just nostalgic reasons. reasons I've had nostalgic right. reasons, yeah. Uh, because I don't know if like they're kind of like abstract and weird, but I like them a lot. I think spades is. A, I like spades. I like hearts. I like trick taking games. All right, so now it's time for our top three favorite games that we enjoy with casual gamers. Um, I'll start this off with my number three being Luxor. Luxor is one of those games of speaking of which, like, that kind of feel like an old, it almost feels like Parcheesi in a way. Um, it's set collection, you're going around in a circle or, like, board, trying to get to the middle first and trying to set up your pawns in different ways to be able to get things. The most interesting part about the game is that you have five cards in your hand, you can only play the rightmost or the leftmost, and then when you get new cards they go in the middle. Um, for me, it's like really easy to teach people, and people seem to pick it up. Casual gamers seem to pick it up very easily, and it reminds them of board games that they're already familiar with. Mm -hmm. So it's like it's fun for them, but then it shows them as well, like that there's decisions and strategy. Mm -hmm. So that's Luxor. Uh, so my game, well, first game of three games, is Decrypto. Uh, we've talked about Decrypto on this podcast. Hopefully, everyone out there in the listening audience has got a chance to play it. Uh, where you're setting down clues for different things. I think it's a game there. Um, people tend to pick up very easily, and because it's not typically a lot of the same board game skills that we've 
developed. It's just things about giving clues and being clever that people can interact with it in a very intelligent way quickly. So a lot of times people were other board games they might bounce off because this game is just a game that just uses words and just uses your intellect. Uh, people can just sort of absorb it and sort of be very smart and clever with it. And uh, I always just like hearing what people do as their clues, how people react to it. Um, and it's a game I enjoy regardless, so I love that they can play this game with board game people. I can play with those people who don't normally play a board game and have a fun time, so let's do crypto. Um, my number three is Pandemic, which I think is interesting because earlier I said I'd actually rather play Horrified. Um, but as I think about it, Horrified, you have to basically teach the monsters every time. So this is what you're trying to do with this monster. This is what you're trying to do with this monster. But Pandemic, you're kind of trying to do the same thing every time. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, uh, so it's co-op, so you're, you're working towards the same goal with everybody at the table, so your new player isn't going to get completely crushed, and I, mean, I just think it's kind of fun. There's something kind of fun about, like, you pull that card, and it causes a disease explosion, and you just kind of have to laugh at it. Co-ops are good to, like, introduce to, to like, new players and casual gamers because you're, like, you could help them take their turn without yeah. them feeling belittled. Yeah. Yeah. My game is very similar to the Crypto. Actually, the reason I didn't put the Crypto on there is I feel like um, kind of a game you play with noobs shouldn't be easy to break, and I feel like the Crypto can be kind of easy to break if somebody doesn't get it. Uh, the game is Codenames. Uh, I might catch some flack with that one. Uh, maybe. Uh, maybe not. But um, it's kind of like a very simple game, and a lot of people actually don't like it because you're, like, staring at words, and, like, um, you... the code giver might take a long time giving their clues so there's downtime or something um i mean i don't know about those criticisms i mean a lot of games are like staring at cubes or whatever <laughs> so i mean yeah. whatever uh, but i really like the simplicity of it i think it's like very simple but you kind of get to know what people think uh it's very like easy to integrate new people as they're walking in it's very easy to teach like um it's very kind of um it's not really difficult. It's not really easy to break. It's very resistant to, like, I don't know, someone doesn't know what they're doing. Like, because you can discuss things. It's kind of like you can listen to them. But um, it's just a cool kind of, like, party atmosphere game where you can kind of cleverly think about how people think about concepts, which I think is kind of cool. Like, you know, like somebody might give a clue where you're like, well, I didn't think of that word that way. And you kind of get into people's brains a little bit, which I think is kind of cool with that game. And it's very easy to play, very easy to teach. Kind of like goes fast-ish if your clue giver doesn't take forever. And I think it's just generally good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Codenames is, I think, great to introduce to, to newer players. Mm. Like, like you don't have them be the code giver, obviously. Yeah. But like Risto said, like they could just be kind of off to the side and you could listen to them here and there or not listen to them at all and exclude them and then they'll never play games again. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Um, my number two is Camel Up. Um, Camel Up's just a bidding game. The camels are going around in a circle and, and you are doing various actions to invest money in them and hope to be right. Um, it's a game of statistics, so like you could play with like serious gamers who are just thinking about all the statistics of the possibilities of how the camels are going to move and what the most viable uh, thing to do is on your turn. But with casual gamers, to them, it's just like pure fun, mm -hmm. you know. And the newer version, the second edition, has like this really cool. Um, 
like dice rolling thing. It's a it's a pyramid, and you press a button on the pyramid, and the dice drops out, and it's really like aesthetically pleasing. And same with the it has like a unnecessary pop up uh, palm tree thing, like yeah. by an oasis. <laughs> it's just like completely unnecessary. But like if you bust it out to like newer gamers or casual gamers, they're gonna like the look of it a lot. It's it's um, it's fun and it takes it's basically like a roll and move. It's not you're not moving yourself, but the camels are moving from rolling and moving. And so again, it's like something that they might be familiar with. It's something that doesn't typically go over anybody's head, and that they just like have fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my second one is I really wanted to choose sort of like one I felt like uh, could be like a nice kind of Euro game to introduce to people. And I settled on Castles of Burgundy. I think the thing about Castles of Burgundy is the game fits together and flows together that's even enough, easy enough for people to grasp, and they can, people can kind of understand board games of being this kind of puzzle um, that people enjoy um, for that one. Uh, I just think it's a solid game, a game you can play, and I, I just think it's something you'd be like, okay, board gaming is this, and it doesn't have necessarily have to be this party game. Uh, that you can play with people, or it doesn't have to be uh, the games you associate with your childhood. It can be kind of this uh, thing where you're trying to score points, and people can kind of understand that. Uh, so Castle Burgundy was my number two. Um, my number two was Azul. It's super simple mechanics. There's some depth there strategy-wise. Um, and it's one of those games, kind of like Camel Up, that if you pull it out and show it to people, they're going to immediately be interested in what's going on because the pieces are beautiful, the board is gorgeous. My game, uh, num- my number two is Karuba, actually. Um, basically, the game, a lot of people call it gamers bingo. Um, <laughs> it's probably about accurate. Uh, the game is... Uh, trying to lay tiles on a board to get these explorers kind of to these endpoints. Um, and someone shuffles their tiles. They pull out one tile and everyone puts the same tile on their boards. Um, so you could totally like do what someone else is doing just perfectly, like just follow exactly what they're doing on your board. But it's kind of an interesting uh, thing with like human psychology. I guess you think you can do better than other people. So you start diverging, like right? You just like... Um, you immediately, like, I can do this better than the person to my left or to my right. So you just kind of start diverging there, and then it just goes from there. Um, or you can move your explorer by, there's number of ex- exits on the tile. But basically, it's kind of like this simple-ish game where it's just entertaining. I don't know. There's something about it. It actually probably is a game that I regularly shouldn't like, but it just works so well and it's so smooth that you can play it with newer people and have a lot of fun. It's very hard to like torpedo or somebody doesn't get the rules. Very simple, kind of like low playing time. Again, um, it's colorful, it's engaging, and I think it goes well with newer people. It's like on the simpler side, but for some reason there's enough entertainment for me and just for other people who are more experienced as well to just have fun with it. Um, it just feels good. So that's my number two. Um, Karuba. So my number one is similar concept of what Jacob was saying. Like, I don't think we always have to underestimate casual gamers and we could kind of ramp it up for them to show them like, these are what board games are. And like I've said before with like gateway games, like I don't feel like there's an absolute definitive gateway game. It really depends on the person who you're teaching. And so my number one is Scythe. 
because I feel like it's a game that you can break out and show people and it the look of it the art of it and 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 all the and your your own player board is going to be very appealing I think mm -hmm. and also it might take them a little bit to understand it might be a longer teach than you usually how you usually teach side but I think once they get into it that could maybe be I consider casual gamers like on the wall right like they're not they're not like noobs that only play on rainy days and they're not expert players they're not gamers but I feel like a game like Scythe could really like bump them up to maybe wanting to join our addiction and become one of us uh, so my last one was Jiper um, Jiper is just kind of a card game where you're buying Jaipur Jaipur again cards it, cubes and complex card punctuation guys it, it's <laughs> actually a city in India I think I've looked it up it's an yeah. actual city in India I think that's what the name of the yeah. game is you're like playing in the market of that city thematically or whatever yeah so yeah there's a market row and like Houston said you're trading uh, different goods and taking things from the marketplace and then also you have like this camel mechanic for this one uh, and what I tend to like in those type of games is a game you can play with two players um, and it's a tender game. I mean, you play it in rounds, but people tend to play the game and they say, okay, that was, I, I lost that game. I want to play it again because it's engaging with this issue. It's simple enough to learn, uh, but it always gives you interesting enough mechanics and, and uh, ways to change up the game there. It's solid after you've played it a number of times there. I think it's a good game to have on your shelf. Um, so Jiper would be my game there. They just came out with a second edition with, um, Vincent Dutrait doing the art. Um, okay, so my number one, kind of along the same lines as like pushing people more into the hobby, is Stone Age. Um, so with the dice rolls, or, sorry, so in Stone Age, you're putting your workers on different places to get different resources, and the amount of resources you get is based on dice rolls. And with the dice rolls, there's enough luck that you having played this game or played other strategy games isn't going to make it so that you are just going to crush the newbie you're um, mm. introducing. And I think that's a big thing with when we're introducing new people to the hobby is they're not going to want to play if every game you show them, you just completely... What if that's the only time I could win, though? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, it, it's another case of the production is really high quality. It has, like, the leather dice cup. The board is absolutely beautiful. The little meeples have the little, like, caveman hair. All those, um, the details. Um, and I think it has a lot of the mechanics that go along with a lot of core game mechanics, or mm -hmm. core games, like the worker placement. It has the worker placement where you can only place one worker, and those action spaces get taken. It has the resource management, um, and it has the feature people mechanic, which is a big thing in a lot of games. Um, and then as far as the anniversary edition, which I know just came out, I'm kind of eh on that. I think that the base game is cute enough. I think the anniversary edition, like if you're really wanting snow, something. Snow. Yeah. If, if you're wanting something different and <laughs> like you know, snow. the, the, the meeples <laughs> are screen printed. Snow. Yeah, if you want snow, the meeples are screen printed. I think the art's a little bit updated, but has like a mini expansion, I think just yeah. like more buildings or something. But I just think the old one, the the regular Stone Age is fine. Yeah. Uh I actually almost put Jaipur, uh, Jacob's game, on it. I feel like it's like really elegant, really cool. It does a lot mm -hmm. of cool things. It's like very clever. It feels very clever. It feels very good. It's 
cool. But instead, my uh, game is Patchwork, actually, another game which I feel like is very elegant. Like, I was just impressed at how, like, very simple to kind of explain, pick up, play, like, not that big of a deal. You just, like, play shapes, get buttons, yay. Um, but it's got a lot of, like, just cleverness built into it. I feel like there's a lot of elegance, and I think that's, like, really interesting, um, especially for a new person. I keep thinking, like, they can kind of see what board gaming is about, maybe, and kind of, like, yeah, kind of, like, have have the game be, like, a bait into, like, well, now I'll take it to the next level or something with, like, shapes or with economy or with like decisions of whether to move the thing forward or not to pick up a new shape or whatever. There's a lot of like really cool decisions and mechanics and things going on with like economic concepts, with like spatial arrangement stuff, with timing, with kind of drafting shapes. And it's done in a very like quick format. It's very like punchy. It just feels awesome to play for gamers as well. Um, and I know Brandon's a, basically a master at that game, undefeated still, I think, undefeated, or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's anyway. why we shouldn't play it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's just like a really elegant game, and it kind of uh, probably would get people interested in deeper concepts of the same type without being like too threatening up front and like there I think people would have a generally have a good time playing that game the only downside possibly is kind of like uh, the scoring at the end is sometimes it feels punishing like if, if you can get negative score in that game which mm -hmm. is kind of a weird decision because I feel like it's kind of designed to be this like kind of friendly-ish game and like you got minus five mm -hmm. okay it's, that's possibly one of the few downsides Okay, now we have in front of us Imaginarium by Bruno Catala and Florin Cyrex? Florian. Florian. Sir. Sirio, maybe? I don't know. Uh, the interesting, interesting part about this is Risto and I have read the rules for this game, so our expectations may be a little different than Justine and Jacob's. How long ago did you buy this, Brandon? I just bought it last week. Okay. They have the punch board. And what uh, what did you use that. to make your decision to buy this on? Um, usually, I don't mind Bruno Catala games. Like, mm -hmm. I don't love them, but I like don't mind it. But honestly, like the the theme is the theme and the art is like to me like kind of appealing, which mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. something we should discuss because it's like this hyper realism. Or photorealism art. Yeah. Like where they take like real pictures and then like add art to it. Would I be accurate to describe this as sort of resembling Salvatore Dali, like very superficially? It's Sur not quite surrealism, a surrealism. That's yeah. what I was surrealism. Yeah, it's yeah. very surreal. Surrealism. Yeah, I mean the theme of it is like you're in it working in a dream factory. Oh, that's um, awesome. It's definitely overproduced. It was a Kickstarter game. I bought the retail version. It's out retail now. It Can has. It has this uh, this box that Jacob's about to open. Yeah, well, this is the only game board game I can think of in recent history that has like a little box inside the box. Like you could almost think of this box as being like a size of a board. It game. actually goes on the box on the board. What? Can you cover up? No, you just take this out right from there. Just put the thing here, whatever. So it holds the resources. It's like it's there's no use for it except for it holds the resources, which is nice though. And it has like teeth on the board. It reminds just... me of Res Arcana actually with the resource 
Pentagon or whatever. Yeah, the teeth are super creepy. There's yeah. like uh, very realistic. Oh, looking. that's human teeth. Horrifying. It's just a picture of human teeth on the board <laughs> with something um, going into its mouth. Oh no. I'll just spoil it. It's the discard. So yeah, it's a discard. The pile. machines yep. get eaten by human teeth. But why? I don't and like it. And then I don't know how these use in a game, but instead of meatballs, we have like full player, like full plastic. We have highly detailed miniatures. Like they're yeah. really nice. So if I you're am. like a, a painter, which I halfway am, uh, they look like they'd be a lot of fun to paint. But also not necessary to paint because they're also in player colors. That'd be hard to paint. Uh, um, these are used for worker placement. These oh, are okay. super large, and yeah, the detail is really cool. I don't know about miniatures, but yeah, like I like the hair on this one. There's like super detailed hair. On and it's not miniatures as far as like uh, it's not a full body. It's just the bust. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this one is kind of top heavy. Yeah, as you can <laughs> That's hear, kind of over. <laughs> That's not great. It looks great though. Like yeah. the design is pretty. Awesome. The, the whole really production good. looks really good. Really overproduced. Um, I wonder expectations. About the I want to hear your guys' expectations before we say ours because we've read the rules. Um, something about this game leaves me like a nerve. Like I, I think the mechanics are going to leave something desired. I don't know why I get that feeling about it. If it's reminding me subconscious of another game. Are you sure you didn't read the rules? I, <laughs> uh, just something about it, uh, but I don't know. I mean, the, the art style is good. It definitely has that Kickstarter feel with it. Where the uh, I have to see, it has the Kickstarter components. I just hope it doesn't have the Kickstarter rule set um, that I've been burned by so many times by uh, Kickstarter. Can I pour these in here? Is this? Yeah, I think it might be a little. Be. Yeah, it might be a little loud for the podcast, though. Now we get this like aesthetic feel. Oh of yeah, there you go. Um, Justine, what do you what do you think? So I'm noticing, like, I think these are our player boards, right? Here, so they are, yeah. And yep. so you've got, and we're gonna have dials of some description. I'm just looking at the components and making guesses here, but I'm guessing this is action selection. Yes. And you get to select the two actions, right? Yeah. Where you're that's really cool. But your dials are static, so it's not like you can separate Correct. where they go. Oh, that's neat. I'm excited. Um, yeah, I like. The, I like when games have a wide variety of actions, but they limit what you can do. I think that's a really neat thing that games do. So I'm really excited about this action selection mechanic, if that's what it turns out to be. So I'm hoping I'll, I'll like the game. I obviously have investment in the game because I bought it, but that's not a problem. Um, but reading the rules, it seems like just kind of simplistic. You know what it seemed, what it reminded me of is like, just like a cooler looking, a little more involved Century Spice Road. Hmm. Uh, it's kind of like, I've, I've read the rules, obviously, um, engine building game. I'm not sure about the engine building part, actually. To Brandon's point, I'm not sure if it's going to be like really that elaborate. I feel like it might be kind of like slower moving than I'm used to in engine building games, possibly. But um, right. no, it looks. Looks kind of cool, actually. Yeah, the production is amazing. The, oh, well, there's player shields. Yeah, I forgot about that. Player shields are really cool. The art is probably the coolest thing mm-hmm. um, about mm-hmm. the game by far. The art is really awesome. I think I like the art. I think the art style is really cool. And I was thinking just now, like, oh, this would be really cool to have like framed pictures running down my hallway. And yeah. then I'm looking mm-hmm. at some of this other stuff, and like, no, I'm worried it would come out of the painting and kill me in the middle of the night. But it's really cool. <laughs> I'm glad you guys like it because I, I feel like some people 
don't like it. Like it's yeah. too weird and it's too like. But I don't. I don't see that in a lot of games. I like weird art personally. Yeah. And I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't get to see it in a lot of board games. So I'm glad that they utilized it in this. Yep. No, uh, it goes along with uh, what I was saying earlier. Is I like unique kind of things, and I feel like surrealist art and just like kind of mm-hmm. more mature stuff is kind of underrepresented in games. I don't know how many games I can take with like castles and like the king and nobles and whatever. Um, this is cool. There's an elephant with like gears on it and like a guy with a clock on his head, and there's teeth. On the boards. Yeah, if you like steampunk, this definitely has a steampunk yeah. feel to it as yeah. well. Yeah, and yeah. Um, Jacob's already picked his color. It's pink. Um, I don't know. I mean, I gotta say, because we, we, I feel like a lot of these ones we do games that have different art styles on it. And in this game, definitely, uh, they put a lot of care into the art. It's a very unique theme. I feel like you don't see a lot of the uh, that kind of surreal artwork of this one. I almost feel a little put off by it a little bit there like it's almost trying to rally I get the same feeling from like a little Tim Burton thing where it's just trying to be a little too weird without being grounded but I might appreciate it more after I play it so you're thinking like maybe like the same thing with IPs like they're mm-hmm. they're trying to put more into it so the game seems better well yeah but also like the kind of the weirdness to it seems a little manufactured doesn't yeah I was gonna say I'm not sure if it comes together very well like it's kind of jarring sometimes weirdness and randomness is a weird thing to sort of purvey because it has to be it's never really truly random and it has to sort of feel invoking um, so I don't know I mean this game is uh, the artwork is certainly interesting I'm interested to play it well about the mechanics what do you guys expect the mechanics to be as far as like if you haven't read the rules I mean obviously me and Brandon have like a huge leg up on that because we so, know what the mechanics are. <laughs> yeah, I've talked about that a little bit. So I think there's going to be a lot of research, resource conversion mm-hmm. because I'm seeing like four different types of resources. I'm seeing yep. coal and then something that's blue and mm-hmm. orange and wood. Yep. So I'm guessing it's going to be resource conversion. I'm seeing lots of cards, so I'm guessing it's going to be a little bit of tableau building. Yep. And then some action selection as well. You're, I'm excited. You're right on target with all of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and the go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. I have no idea. I have okay. no idea. <laughs> I, I, it, like it, it, it wants you to think it's a worker placement game, but it's a card drafting game. Mm-hmm. Like the the I feel like the worker placement is just like you're putting your piece there because you're drafting cards. Like this didn't this really didn't have to be there, except for it's going to be turn order. And it didn't have to be that huge. Yeah, but it looks super cool. Yeah, so. yeah, it like, looks really neat. Sorry. But it definitely, I feel like, could have had, like, circles in these colors. <laughs> yeah, like these? Yeah. Yep. It, could have it, been a cube. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, well. I mean, it's beautiful. They're, um, they look like injection molded, but they're gorgeous. Mm. All right, so we're going to play it and join us next week, and we will give our actual opinions about Imaginarium. So that's our episode of Cards and Cubes. Uh, find us on social media under Cards and Cubes on mm-hmm. Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. We'd like to thank Demolition Games once again for letting us record here. And again, we highly suggest coming down. It's 3300 South and 85 West. We'd like to thank Lindsay Johnson for composing the theme song. And thanks. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>